Amen. I am, I am so excited about what God's doing, um, and I am so excited about what I'm doing this morning as well. I just want to encourage you that there is, there is such an excitement in heaven. There is such excitement in the heart of God for such a time as this. And uh, Connor shared with me Psalm 24. It's wrecked me ever since. Friends, it's an amazing psalm. It's a psalm about David. It's a psalm about David bringing the, the ark back. It's about the presence. He becomes king, and the only thing he can think about is bringing the presence of God back to Israel and, and restoring it back in his rightful place. And, and it's a beautiful psalm. You can go read it. But it, in, in there, it just talks about lift up your head, O you gates, and lift up your head, O you ancient doors. And, uh, and I've just been wrecked ever since about that we are his gates and his doors. And we are his gates and his doors for such a time as this. And uh, Isaiah 60, I think it's verse 18, it says that, the, that Zion, which is the people of God, its walls are called salvation and its gates are called praise. And the challenge in the church today, friends, is that they've got the walls of salvation. But a lot of the time there's walls, but there's no gates. Gates is an access place. It's a place where God comes. It's a place where he inhabits. And I want to encourage you that God wants to establish gateways now at this time. And the reason for that, friends, is that we are the gateway to those around us, to the community, everybody. We're the gateway of Christ. When you read in Psalm 24, it's lift up your head, O you gates. Let the King of glory come in. God's wanting Jesus to come in. He wants, he wants in our situations. And how do we do that? The way we do that is being a gateway. How, and how, do we do, how can we be a gateway? I'll tell you how we can be a gateway, and this is not what I'm going to preach on, but it's, it, it flows from what I shared about the two trees, because it comes from truth. What's happening right now, friends, is that there are absolute truths in the Bible, the truth of the Word of God, the truth of Christ, what He has declared, what He has spoken. The truth of the Word is that God is good all the time, but that is constantly under attack, friends. Because the enemy would love us to think that God isn't good all the time. And uh, so we're in, this, we're in this situation where we, we know that God is good, but we are also in this real life where challenging things are happening, where stuff is happening, coming our way. And it seems like circumstantially, even experientially, it's not tying up with, and we're between the two. And what the enemy loves us to do is to go, go to truth, go to this place, and take it and bring it over here and sacrifice it on the altar of human reasoning. Because it makes more sense, it makes us feel better that we can make up something, cause some, some kind of nice little theology that helps us understand. But what it's doing, friends, is it's bringing truth and uh, um, sacrificing truth, friends, for the comfort of us as a people. And we dare not do that, friends. It, it, it's, what it is is a disgrace. It's dissing the grace of God. And God wants us to hold on to his truth, friends. So we're in between this two. Yes, we go. We believe in truth that says pray for the sick. They'll get healed. We go pray for somebody, and then they don't get healed, friends. And now we're in between that two of, of the truth of God's word of healing, and then they're not getting healed, friends. And in between that place, friends, what God's calling us to do is become a gateway. And the way you become a gateway is what we did this morning. You become a gateway by being a gate of praise. We're in that place of praise. We praise God and we trust Him. 
We don't move. We don't sacrifice truth. We just stay in that place. We become a gateway for the presence of God to come and to be in to minister. When we stand in that place, we will not move away from the truth because it's truth that will set us free. And I don't know if it takes five minutes or takes an hour or takes two days or takes a year or takes a lifetime. It sets free, friends. Truth does, not sacrificing and going into the arena of human reasoning. Amen. So that's, um, I really believe God's wanting to talk to us about gates um, and then us just being gates during this time, powerfully as a group of people, just simply trusting in the Lord and being full of praise, even though we're betwixt and we've been challenged by both. Amen? Realms. But what I want to speak on this morning, I just want to quickly touch on a little bit about um, uh, leadership in the church, because I want to ordain some leaders this morning. I want to just say to the church that I have... In my prayer time, when we started this year, most churches, and I love, I love it, um, we always start the year with some, uh, some fasting and praying about the year. And then when I was asking the Lord and saying, what should we do, Lord, whatever, I felt him say, no, no, don't fast and pray yet. Because then you'll just fast and pray because it's a good thing to do and, just, uh, and fast and pray about a whole bunch of stuff. But I want you to fast and pray specifically about something. And I said, okay, Lord, but so I, need, I need you to, to, to get this and then I need you to share it with the people. And one of the things that I felt God wanted me to get is um, multiplicity of voice. That is, as 24-7 friends, we have had the privilege we have had the privilege of having weighty gifts in this house. And what happens is when the, when the emphasis is on the weighty gifts and um, what happens is that the, the authority of that voice actually can get diluted. Um, and actually multiplicity of voice doesn't dilute the Father's voice. It actually amplifies the Father's voice. And I felt like the Lord say, it is time, son, to, to, to let the voices of 24-7 be heard. And so I do believe, and I want to encourage you, whatever I know, some of you were going like, sure, thank God, time. Um, and some of you might be going, um, no, no, we want to hear your voice, or my voice, or whatever. Um, I do believe God is declaring and speaking to us today that God is wanting to do this with 24-7. And He wants a whole bunch of voices to begin to be heard and to be echoed out here. But I want us to understand it in leadership, so hear my heart on that one. Um, but I want, I want to just encourage us that, that we're going to lay hands on a, on a group of uh, deacons this morning. And I'm trusting the Lord that in a soon uh, space of time, too, we'll be able to ordain some elders and, uh, and just grow the multiplicity of the leadership in the church. But I want to first and foremost just say this to you, that the heartbeat of God is to see His church mature and grow up into... The, into him, into his fullness, right? The, his heart is, is he wants his, his people, every single one of his people to be uh, active, filled with love, with the power and the presence of God, doing what God's called them to do. He wants this to be a church, a people that are worshiping him and loving him, a people that are loving and, and encouraging and strengthening one another, and a people that are out there demonstrating and being uh, the, the example to the world out there and causing uh, people to come in and his body to grow, right? That's, what, that's God's heart. In the midst of that, friends, as he puts in place something of, and we don't like this word so much, but something of a structure in terms of leadership that can facilitate that. Leadership is not meant to squash that, not meant to take priority over that. Amen? 
Leadership actually in the Bible, friends, is such an interesting word because leadership, friends, actually is where you become the servant of all. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a place of serving. It's a place of honoring. It's a place of, of loving the people from underneath up, not from above and lording over. Amen. So what I want to share this morning is please don't uh, get, misunderstand what God's wanting to establish and do here. He's wanting to put things in place. And I'm going to say this carefully, but I want to say it uh, uh, clearly. I want to say that um, the thing that's under attack in the church today, friends, what's under attack is the fivefold ministry. Why it's under attack, friends, is because it is the ministry that equips the saints. It's the ministry that equips the saints. Friends, if you can cause the fivefold to be under attack, if you can cause the fivefold to be diluted or not to be able to do their job, friends, then you get the church ill-equipped to do their job. So what we've got here today, friends, we've got is a whole bunch of people sitting in churches all over the place, friends, diluting the importance of the fivefold gifting, um, saying it's not so important and we can just have anybody and everybody. And let's all just have our own little free-for-all here and everybody can just come and do their own thing here and do whatever they want to do, friends. What it is doing is it's stopping the mandate, the plan and the purpose that God has. Friends, you don't go into an army and it's like, hey, listen, yeah, hey, listen, captain, you sit down now. We're going to have just a, have a corporal come and chat to us and hey, some more corporals come up and... and you know what I mean? There, there is order in the army of God. There is discipline in the army of God. There has to be this uh, uh, structure, friends, in order for us to be able to achieve and do what God's called us to do. Amen. So in, in no way, when I'm sharing this morning, am I, am, am I wanting to be part of that voice, friends, that would dilute the importance of the fivefold gifting. The fivefold gifting is vital. It is critical and key at this time in the life of the church. So I want to encourage us. I want to say this. I love that we all have different giftings. I love that everybody has uh, uh, different parts to play in the body. And I love that people have giftings to teach. Amen. I love that. What we want to do is create space and opportunity for more voices to be able to stand here and minister and to teach. But I want to encourage you here today that actually in reality in the Bible, friends, from the word, from truth, friends. It says we shouldn't be too quick to want to teach. James chapter 3, verses 1. Because teachers are held and are accountable, friends. It is an office. It is, a, it is an appointed uh, uh, position, friends, that God gives. There's plenty of opportunity for us to be able to teach and minister outside of a Sunday morning. Nobody is stopping anybody from ministering out. So on a Sunday morning, friends, we can't all compete to stand up here. So I'm not standing up here telling you that we it's just want to dilute this pulpit and we're just going to let everybody have a voice and just have a say. No, in God, we're going to allow the voices that God wants to speak and to declare over the people. Uh, we want to hear the multiplicity of voice because it's beautiful. It's, it's, um, it adds to the bouquet and the flavor that God's speaking. Amen. So... I want us to quickly have a look, because it's in the Bible, just quickly have a look at some of the scriptures that relate to what I'm talking about, and then, um, and then I'll try and touch on a few little aspects, because it's such a big topic. Um, and nobody panic, because I've got 17,000 notes up here. That's, <laughs> it's just because it is such a big topic. Um, but I wanted to quickly touch on, um, let's just go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
Some people are already there. Okay. I just wanted to quickly touch on a couple of things. I hope I'm not jumping around too much because I know for time and I want to actually lay hands on every single person of the leadership. Um, And just before I speak, uh, say that again, I just want every one of us to know that Jesus is the head of the church and everybody else is on level ground spiritually. Amen. There's no one more important, only Jesus, the rest on level ground. But there are different functions, different responsibilities that God gives us, just like in a marriage. Amen. In a marriage, we're equal, we're the same, everything, you don't have, there has, doesn't have to be a competition, it doesn't have to be trying to elevate or push down or anything. In a marriage, we're the same, but there's different functions in a marriage. There's the husband, and there's the wife, and there's the male, and there's the female in a marriage. And both have uh, different functions, and when they function well, that is a thriving, whole marriage. Amen? And when one tries to usurp the other one's authority, or the other one usurps the other one's authority, that's when it gets messed up, Right? And uh, if you don't have a male, it gets messed up too. If we don't have a female, it also gets messed up too. There is an a understanding here that, of the giftings and what God's called us to. So in the Bible, let me say this quickly. In the Bible, friends, uh, there are two, um, two tiers of authority or two, two offices um, that's given in the church in terms of leadership. There's elders and there's deacons. Um, in the Word of God, when you go and study it, you'll find out that there are a number of names used in different places, names like um, overseers, names like bishops, name, bishop, bishops, names like um, pastor, um, shepherd, all those are uh, the same n- name for the category of elder in the church. So all those names, you'll see they're interchangeable in a lot of the scriptures when you look at them. That, that's the elder, and then uh, you have the deacon. So you have an elder and a deacon, uh, that's authority in the church. Let me give you a quick analysis uh, of the early church in Acts. Uh, God, the Holy Spirit falls on them, uh, on, on uh, them in the upper room. Uh, Peter goes and he ministers to, and uh, 3,000 are saved, and there's a whole bunch of people and now there's a whole bunch of people. What they do is they begin to minister at Solomon's porch or portico, um, which is quite a big place. If you had to go to Israel and have a look, whatever, it's a decent-sized place. Amen. So it's a huge, decent-sized place where they can all meet. And they're meeting there. And it says they're meeting there and they're meeting in homes. So they were doing both. They were attending there. And then what happened was, obviously, there was a lot of um, persecution. Church has just been birthed. Uh, they just persecuted Jesus. They don't like what... Jesus has got to say, now these guys are now a whole bunch of more voices saying the same thing. You know, it's sort of getting stuck in their heads now, so they're irritated. So there was a lot of attack happening. That's when there was the dispersion. But with a lot of attack happening, how many know they couldn't go down the road and rent out the stadium? Because they put lines in there and they were feeding them so they weren't going to go to the stadium where they were being fed, uh, where they were getting where they were food. So they couldn't go to the stadium. So what they had to do is they went to a whole bunch of houses. Right? So there was a dissemination of, of, all, the, of all the saints uh, not meeting uh, anymore at Solomon's Portico, meeting in a whole bunch of houses, a whole bunch of people in all different houses. So there had to now be some kind of leadership and some kind of setup where there had to be a, accountability with all of this that's going on, which is why God was so very clever, and that's why he, crea- he, he ordained elders, so that elders could come and be responsible. The problem with that was with a whole bunch of places— um, and it's like, how many elders do you appoint an elder in every single place 
or, how, or, or where, where do you need elders? What was happening then is that there were, the church was growing so fast that there was uh, churches springing up all over the place, people that were now having to lead those churches, and they were like new novices, they didn't know what to do, so they would go to the guy who was um, uh, more, been more established for a little bit longer, and they ask him questions and what have you. Anyway, what, long story short is he started to oversee a region and a bunch of, of churches, and ultimately what happened is there's the, the, the Anglican and Catholic Church uh, basically assumed that that guy became the bishop. By 100 AD, that's 100 years after Jesus had died, by 100 AD there was already the word bishop being used, and it was a, a new position. So when you hear people in the chat about whatever, and they go, no, there's three. There's the bishop, there's elders, and there's deacons. A bishop is the same as an elder. It's just it, that position came about because of the, the church, the traditional church in those days. Um, and then from that also came about what we, we, we call today, whatever, in, in, in mainline churches, uh, the presbytery. That means a group of people now that oversaw a, a, an area. So now you had this, like, head office that would oversee all the bunch of people. That's where it came from, church. It wasn't a bad, kind of weird and ugly thing that happened. It happened out of a necessity, but it, it wasn't God. Right? God still had a plan. There were there's elders and there's deacons. Um, the elders were to oversee the local church in doctrine, discipline, and direction. It's that simple. Making sure that everyone was on the same page doctrinally, uh, the direction of the, of the church was going in the, all going in the same way, and then any discipline that might happen if anybody was hurting because they were shepherds um, by nature. They were pastors. They were pastoring and caring for the people. Amen. So when that was established and put in place, biblically, friends, uh, then there were scriptures that they could go to now and that they could, be, they could establish that on. So now we're at 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3, right? Am I going too fast? Is everybody cool? All good, okay. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. I'm reading out the ESV. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, uh, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must uh, be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, and let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good, a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. If you skip quickly to um, 1 Timothy chapter 5, um, just verse 17, it says there, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. It's talking about elders, but it's talking about the same thing as it was talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, which just helps us to see there that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the word used is overseer. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, it's um, elder. 
And then just quickly shoot to, it's a little few pages on, is Titus. Titus chapter 1. Let's just read from verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might uh, put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Uh, verse 7, 4, an overseer. Remember, he's just talked about elders, now he's saying overseer. It's not a different, now he's talking about another position. This is the same person. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. Amen. So that's basically the kind of uh, um, teaching on, that we need to look to when, when we look to, uh, to leaders or elders. Uh, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So I exhort the elders among you as, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Amen. So just quickly going back um, to um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'll just touch on a couple of items this morning. First thing I do want to say is how many kind of were shocked by, by how high the bar has been set? How many are amazed at how unremarkable the, the requirements are for a, for a leader in the church? Nothing very, nothing very remarkable about that list, right? Like, hey, you mustn't uh, get drunk. Wow. And hey, don't be a guy that fights with everybody and just like is a real picker and wants to sook with everybody. It's a very powerful um, bar that they're setting, right? How many know that every single one of these requirements are actually requirements for every single Christian in the rest of the Bible. That's what is amazing. It's remarkable that we have this list of things that God requires for as a leader, but then in the rest of the Bible, He requires it of every single believer. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, well, then what is He trying to say here? What He's trying to say, friends, is that those that are uh, appointed by Him to be leaders in the church must exemplify must be living examples of this because they're actually leaders that people are following. So we're all called to be that, but hey, I want to follow him because he's doing that well. Amen. That's how simple and amazing this is. And then one of the interesting things here is that with, a, with a, um, uh, an elder, there's only really two differing things. The one thing is that he, must, he mustn't be a novice. So how many of us know, if you're going to appoint an elder in the life of the church, he mustn't be just newly saved. 
Why is that? Because we expect that if he's going to be an elder who's going to lead a group of people and shepherd and, 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 and direct and bring direction and doctrine, then we don't want him to be little wet behind the ears, uh, pity the pipsqueak, right? Amen? But that's also open, friends. That's also open. Why is that open? Because what happened to Paul? When Paul went on his journey, friends, is he went all on his little trip there, Asia Minor, and he went to uh, Derby and Lystra and all those different places, friends, setting up churches. It says on his way back, then he appointed elders at every single place. Now, we know that whole trip took about two years. So we know that when he went out, friends, and appointed, uh, did, uh, set up churches, on his way back, you're talking definitely less than two years. You might be talking months. You might have been talking four months, six months, and he's back in that church. And he's appointing elders who've just got born again four, six months old. So there's no rule here. This is Holy Spirit leading and directing um, because sometimes in some situations you can be quite young but still be an elder. He's trying to tell us something here. This isn't some guidelines, formula that we have to, and if you miss it, woo! He's trying to tell us here, led by Holy Spirit, because I'm going to End off with a scripture, um, which is my favorite scripture in relation to what we're doing here this morning. But um, what he's trying to tell us here, simply friends, is that it would be, if we've been going 15 years, it would be silly to appoint a person who's just been saved for six months or a year, right? We've got wealthy, wealthy, we've got a wealth of, of people and wisdom and people that have walked a journey here and that they would be more, uh, better suited to take up that responsibility than some young little guy, right? But in these churches that were new in China, at the moment, many churches um, that are being uh, started and planted there, and the, the leaders of those churches are young. They're young because it's out of necessity, and God's moving mightily with them. So there is also just this openness to Holy Spirit leading, right? And then, so that mustn't be a novice, and the other one must be able to teach. So when it comes to an elder, he must obviously have two grasps. One, he must have knowledge. And two, he must be able to communicate the knowledge, right? So that's what we re they require of, a, of an elder. Otherwise, the rest are all very similar. Now, when we look at the rest very quickly, and now I've gone away from there. When we move, look at the rest very quickly, I just want to touch on them so you can kind of grab the understanding here. Um, and also, if you, if you wanted to um, get more content to what I'm saying, if you went to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. And if you look there, overseers there, it also talks about elders. So um, <clears throat> there's an example. He's now writing a letter to the church, and he's identifying all the saints, and he's identifying elders and deacons. Um, but quickly going back to uh, 1 uh, Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, Oh, let me just, I'll stick with elders for the moment, and then we can see those deacons are, are similar. But it, it, it's, an overseer must be above reproach, okay? So it's not very good to get a guy that's very, uh, he's got a bad name in the, in the community, and uh, he's always, whenever there's trouble, his name is around that. That's probably not a, not a good guy to get. But uh, and then the husband of one wife, let me just quickly nail this one. Uh, that doesn't mean that um, you, can't, you, you have to be married to be an elder. Amen, because Paul wasn't married. Jesus wasn't married. Amen, and then Paul in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 7, he talks about how there's advantages to being single. Um, so you can be single and an elder, just by the way. Um, um, and he's also here, he's not saying, listen, um, you must be, um, 
the husband of one wife, meaning that you um, can't uh, ever be divorced. Um, because the husband of one wife, after that, sorry, you're out. Um, it's just not, if you, when you, I haven't got time to unpack it for you, but in the context of the Bible and the Holy Spirit, and the, God, it, it's, it's just, it goes against what Paul is saying. It's like um, Romans, I think it's Romans 7, where it talks about, Paul says about remarrying. Um, it would just contradict the Bible. Where do we get this kakalaks from? Um, when, we, when we read some of these scriptures, that's not a, a scripture there to, to justify that you, you can't be a divorced a person remarried, whatever, and, that, and, be, and you can't be an elder otherwise. It's, it's, um, that's not what he's trying to say. Um, I will just say this, though. Um, I don't think it was written for this, uh, in that um, where you can't be a husband of many wives, um, polygamy, but uh, the truth of the matter is that it wasn't really that heavy in those days. So I, I don't believe it was written because of that either. Um, but I, I think there's a point to that. The only reason why I say there's a point to that, that it should just, you should just have one wife, is because um, it, is, it is an example of Jesus and the church. Amen. And so Jesus doesn't have a whole bunch of wives, right? It's one bride. So this is, this is where that can come in, where it's just that understanding of... Um, so what he's really trying to say is that he's trying to build a family here. He's trying to build a household. He's trying to say that in a household, there needs to be a father and a mother, right? And then there's a whole bunch of kids. There's no huge emphasis in a household where every, I don't, and didn't my whole time growing up with my kids that are a lot older now, but I didn't stand up every single time we sat at the table and said, now listen here, I want to tell you, I am your father, right? I didn't stand there and tell them and say, listen, you will respect me. I am in charge. What I say goes, everybody, you don't... The point was there needs to be a father and a mother, but actually the father and mother can speak little and you can still feel their weight, right? That's actually the church. The church, the, the father and the mother don't have to speak a lot, but you can still feel their weight because when they do speak, everyone listens, right? It's like we have a bun fight at our table. We have a, you know, a decent-sized family and um, everybody's talking, and then Jane would start to say something or I'll say something and everyone goes, Wow, that's just, there's a respect and honor that the father and mother are speaking. But it's not a, a lording over thing, right? You're getting the, the point of the exercise that Jesus is trying to do here. Um, above approach, husband of one wife, uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. These are all important things, but they're all talking about a person's character. Amen. This is a person that, who, want, who needs to portray Christ. He's self-controlled. This is, he's, there's a... There's an element to his life where he is in charge, not his emotions or, or other things. He's ruling and reigning his own uh, life well. Um, uh, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. How many know that? That's a vital. In this day and age, absolutely vital. Amen? Because people are voting with their money. Amen? God never, ever wanted that. He never, ever wanted people to say, listen, I, you know, We'll, we'll make sure that you stay on the, on the straight and narrow by keeping you poor. And, uh, and the pastor saying, well, I'm going to try and milk this bunch of people as much as I can. Um, th that was never God's plan. God's plan was to actually all of us to just rest in Him and just to operate and work in how He works, which is in truth. Right? 
So we go and look at the Bible, and we have a look at it, and we say, okay, that's what truth is, and truth says I'm supposed to tithe, and it doesn't say that if I'm not liking what the lead elder is doing, I should stop tithing. See, I want to be honoring to truth. I want to put truth. I might live between two realms, but I want to honor truth. How many know that you, you do not uh, honor the lead elder because he's the lead elder? You honor him because of the word of God. Right? It's a huge difference here, church. We must understand this. This is absolutely vital. We honor because of the Word of God, because of the authority that the Word of God has in my heart, not because of the position. Otherwise, that's like a business. See, what happens in a business is, oh, he's the boss, so I'm going to have to obey him. But inside, I don't give a tortoise for him, and I am highly ticked off with him. And actually, so I'm not going to represent him very well. So he tells me, and I go, yes, yes, awesome, whatever. And I walk back into the office amongst other folks and go, what an idiot. See, that's what happens in business, friends. It should not happen in church. Because, friends, the honoring that's going on is for Jesus, not for whoever. And whoever God's put in place that's overseeing over us, well, they have a responsibility. And they have enough challenges in their own life. I'm just going to make sure that I'm not one of them. Right? So there's this, this mandate and this understanding that we, we have here that, um, we, talk, we, we heard that it said it, the person who's ministering and teaching the word is worthy of double honor. We understand about the honor, but we also understand that there is an abuse. There's no abuse of that honor, right? Amen. If I was to drive up here next week with a Porsche, pull in there, unless somebody blessed me with it and gave me one, I would be asking some questions, right? Because how many know there is a beautiful uh, uh, kind of flow here between the people that are appointed in the office and the church. When you're reading the Word and you understand all of this, there is a beautiful flow. The people are involved. The, the, the guys who are given responsibility are involved. And it, it, there's a flow here. It isn't just now that I'm in charge, shut up and just obey whatever I say. There isn't that in the Bible at all, actually. There is this flow. There's this flow of understanding because there's mutual respect. And I want to make sure that I can uh, allow him to do what he's called to do freely and easily. So I'm going to help him. And then I know his responsibility is to help me, to do what I'm called to do. And actually in God, there's not going to be held on all the titles, pastors. You come here, you get the quick, short route through the uh, airport, um, and uh, whereas everyone else going to stand in the long queues by the, by the immigration department, right? Um, no, it's not going to be that. Actually in God, it's whatever God's mandated and called upon you. That's what you're accountable for, good and faithful servant to whatever he's called you to. Amen. And if you've done well what you've called to do, then you get the mansion. And if you, if you haven't done well, then so it reminds me, sorry, I, why am I getting jokes in my head now? But it uh, just reminds me of this incredibly famous pastor that went up to heaven and he was standing in the queue there waiting to go into heaven. And uh, in front of him was, uh, he remembers, oh, that was Mark. He, he was a shocking dentist. And um, Anyway, so Mark comes up and stands there before Peter, and Peter goes, whoa, no, listen, you have a massive robe on the guy, big crown on his head, whatever, and that, and says, enter, my son, well done, whatever, and then he comes along, and, um, and he says, oh, who, who you, whatever, and he goes, no, oh, I'm blah, 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 you know, yeah, and I led a church of 5,000, and got hundreds of thousands of people saved, and all that, so that's wonderful, he says, oh, yeah, well, you can have this little jersey, and, um, and uh, yeah, just this little cap you can put on your head, and he goes, no, whoa, hold on a minute, he says, how come? I know Mark there. He's a shocking dentist. How come, um, how come he gets all that stuff, whatever, and then I've done all this stuff, and I get this little jersey and cap? He says, well, when you 
operated, um, most people fell asleep. When Mike operated, everyone started praying. <laughs> right? Okay, bad joke. Sorry, Tom. Yes, Tom. See, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, uh, and then, very importantly in both, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how would he care for God's church? And simply put their friends again, it's just a re-emphasizing to us that there is a responsibility for us as a church to be good stewards in our own household. How many know not everyone can be an elder in the church, but they can be an elder in their house? Right? So actually, eldering in my own house, bringing up my kids, making sure that there's prayer and worship and, and, uh, and the teaching of the word all going on. God's saying, listen, I'm watching that, son. I'm watching that, and I'm saying, you do that well. It actually it enables you now to be able to do that well in my own family. Amen. So it's very important. So what we're seeing here with all these different requirements, what we're seeing basically is that in terms of um, God's heart, God's heart is that it's not setting the bar above everybody else. It's saying I want you guys to exemplify this because I want you guys to portray and show this. I don't want you to be a bunch of people that are given this responsibility because you know how to talk. Right? How many know with these responsibilities, there isn't like you need to have had a a tertiary education. You need to have an IQ of 120 plus. There's nothing of that. In fact, that's where the church has gone wrong is because they've said, if you're successful out in the workplace and you're doing great things in the workplace, then you should be a leader in the church. No. Because the leader in the church has different requirements to in a workplace, friends. In a workplace, you can be a super boss because you shout and swear and strip wallpaper and kick butt and do a whole bunch of stuff and everybody jumps when you come into the room and now you get elevated because, yes, you, you get things done. That's not a great requirement for a guy in church, right? So God has these requirements. We've got to stick to these requirements. We dare not try and move away from truth. And so what God is trying to establish and trying to say to us is that character is critical. And in these days, what he's trying to tell us is that, guys, it's about relationship with me. It's not just about what knowledge and what you can do, friends. Amen? Do you know, my thing is to encourage every single one of you, and this has been something God's been talking to me because I had to wrestle with this. How many know I love preaching? What? Um, but I felt like the Lord saying to me, don't you want to be more like me? And I said, yeah, I want to be more like you. He says, well, what's my character? Well, lots of things. Where, where do we start? Um, and he said, well, I'm slow to speak. And I'm very quick to listen. My shift, my change is now I want to be a very good leader, which is slow to speak. So I want to encourage as a church, make sure that all of us are slow to speak. Don't necessarily want to jump up and I want to be the guy that everybody hears my voice. Friends, they can hear your voice. They hear it louder through your life than they do actually hear it from what you're saying. Because they're watching your life. Amen. So here, what God's trying to tell us is that leaders are speaking through their life. But unfortunately, we have to gather them together. And so the guys that do stand up like I'm doing now, best they know something and best they know how to communicate it, right? So the people that do get the opportunity to stand, stay on a Sunday and speak to all of you should be equipped and should have a gifting 
uh, on their hearts and on their lives to be able to share the Word of God to you in a way that you can understand, and for you to be able to say, this guy or this lady, whatever, knows the Word, right? Amen. So we, we, um, we're, not, we're not playing down anything, but I'm also trying to get people to understand that more importantly in this church, what we want to see is people that are encountering God, whose lives are portraying Him, and then we've got a, a handful of people now, as we step into the, what God's going to be doing, is we've got a handful of people whose voices will be heard a lot more in the life of the church. And as I said before, I want to encourage every single one of you, as people come through, we're always looking, praying. That group will be praying. We'll be praying and saying, Lord, do you want to bring them on to, uh, as deacons? There are many people here as I look around that, that, are, are, that could be deacons. So don't, I don't want you to sit here today and go, oh, um, why them or why this or whatever. It's just the reality that um, this is what I felt in my heart right now. And then we obviously always wanting to grow that team. We also want, don't want that team to be so um, cumbersome that three quarters of the congregation is now deacons. Um, because then we'll be deacon possessed. <coughs> and uh, it'll be very hard to... Yeah, so... so um, just uh, also another quick thing, while you all, just in case somebody is like really taking notes, um, is, can, can you go to Acts chapter 6? But um, can a woman be a deacon? I don't want to go into um, dangerous territory because I haven't got time. But let me just say this. The word deacon in the Bible is masculine and feminine. Um, and uh, if you go to uh, Romans, I think it's 16 verse 1 there, it talks about Phoebe, the deaconess. So can a woman be a deacon? Of course they can. Can a woman be an elder? Of course they can. Oops, I won't. I'll move on. Um, Acts chapter 6, um, and that'll be for another time. Um, but the word uh, diakon, um, which is where you get the word deacon from, diakonos, um, diakona, the, the, all the off-breaks of that particular word, that word just simply means servant. So what it actually means is that um, you've put up your hand to serve. Um, and uh, in whatever capacity that you, um, God um, causes you to, to serve. Um, so let me just read um, Acts chapter 6 quickly and say this. Uh, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and all those other guys. Um, and in verse 6, now they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. Uh, that's why we're doing laying hands this morning. It's biblical. Um, and just want to encourage them, just uh, say the first two they were chosen was Stephen and Philip, probably the two best preachers of that known time. So highly anointed preachers and teachers of the word. So can a deacon preach and teach? Of course he can. Um, and you can be highly gifted and anointed. Um, but the, 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 the difference between the elder and the deacon, how many know the elders, they are 
governmental, they have the authority over the church, the direction, the discipline, the doctrine, and they must be able to teach because they are wanting to, to, they've been given the authority of the doctrine, of teaching the doctrine into the life of the church. They don't have to teach every single week and all the time, but they've been given that authority. The deacons can teach, 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 cheat, no, they can't cheat. They must teach, they can teach, friends, and they can be a voice, but there's still the, uh, uh, the teaching voice, Right? I hope we can get this. But you can still hear many voices because they should all be saying the same thing as whatever the voices say. So you can have a whole bunch of different people teaching. But the clear mandate when the deacons were put in place was to be able to serve, to run everything. So on a Sunday, on a Sunday running the church, this is what's going to happen now from now on. On a Sunday, we might have somebody stand up here and will uh, open the meeting. Then we might have another person that leads the meeting. We might have another person that does the announcements. We might even have another person that preaches. And we might have another person that closes the meeting. Why? Because it's multiplicity of voice. It's allowing people to step into what God's called them to and also be able to flow and to be able to allow Holy Spirit to move in every single one of us. Amen? So now we get a, a voice. The church starts to get a voice as one unit. Amen? And then all the different giftings begin to operate. And then what does happen is, friends, is that when you have this group of people, it's not what I've done in the past, and that's why I've said I've stood in front of the church and said, I really repent of that. I believe that I got it wrong. Um, but one day I'll stand before the Lord, he'll tell me I got it right or wrong. The, the truth of the matter is that I've always only appointed people into, into offices, into places of authority, in leadership, if they were functional and doing something in the life of the church. Because I never believed in, in uh, just uh, a group of people that were advisory. Amen. You as the pastor stand there, you're doing all the work, and then you appoint yourself a whole group of people that tell you what to do. Doesn't sound right, does it? Uh, sounds like it's a sign of insanity. By the way, you know the defin definition of insanity? You do the same thing over and again, expecting a separate result. When I told that to Jane, she said, okay, I'm going to stop doing the housework. Um, <laughs> okay. Side issue. So here's the... Yes, full of jokes, yeah. Concentrate. So, so the, the mandate was always that we have a group of people that are functioning, right? Not just entitled. But the reality is, friends, what I see in the Bible is a group of people that when I look there, it says full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. It's very obvious that they'd be full of faith and full of wisdom because they're full of Holy Spirit. How many know the Holy Spirit is wisdom? So if you're full of Holy Spirit, you'll have wisdom. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because when it's a fear of the Lord, you give the Holy Spirit his rightful place. He is wisdom. And then that's the start because now allowing him to, to speak in, in your life is vital. So, and then full of faith. It's easy when you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you're full of the Holy Spirit to be full of faith. Amen. So that's what was required there. There wasn't anything saying well, you must be able to do this, this, and this, this. No, that's what was required. People that are full of Holy Spirit, full of faith. So you don't have to be functioning to be a deacon. But when you come into deacon, deaconing, you, you now are a group of people that are full of the Holy Spirit. So we get together as a group of people and we pray and we say, what is God saying? And God says, I think you should do this. And we say, okay, it seems good to us and to Holy Spirit. Then we are the ones who put our hand to that first. We've got to be a group of believers that, that stand together and go, right, we believe this. Now we're going to do this. Then we're going to have that voice that will come and stand in front and go, guys, I really do believe that God's telling us this, this, and this. Who's with me? Now, hopefully everyone's going, yeah, we're with you. But at least some people are going, that, that resonates with me. 
you know, if somebody stands up and I really feel God wants us to go now and, uh, and start an orphanage and go and, and, and look after the orphans, and then some people go out there, ooh, that's for me. I, I know, I love uh, working with kids and helping kids or whatever, and, and that resonates, and now there's a ministry that begins to take, and that person is now active. That's what that group is supposed to be doing. Otherwise, you have people sitting there going, oh, wow, I stopped doing the ministry last week, and now, ooh, everyone's looking at me. I better find something to do. Or I'm saying, hey, you better take over that, something that's not even their gifting, right? So don't look to these, these new people suddenly and going like, well, what does he do in the church? And da, da. No, let's work together as a team. Let's pray for one another and say, what is the Holy Spirit saying? And then we'll begin to present that to the church and say, I believe the Holy Spirit's saying this, and this person really wants to run with that, and this person wants to run with that. Amen. Okay, that's probably enough, as much time as I've got for, for now. So, yeah, I'm just... Um, so... Um, instead of for the sake of time, you all know who you are. Um, don't you want to just come to the come to the front? I've met with um, all of the, this group of people, and I have uh, chatted to them about what um, we're about. You guys can face the congregation so they can see who you are. Um, and I've shared what we're about, and uh, they've all um, shared their hearts, said what they, um, what they feel, and um, we've wrestled through things uh, that maybe they weren't sure about. Um, who am I missing? Uh, by the way, what was so interesting is um, this week when I was uh, preparing, I came across a piece of paper, which is uh, my, my mom uh, had found it, and it's, um, it's in 2007. And it's, uh, the title of the whole thing is Meet the Deacons. And um, there's this beautiful picture of Dale and Ellie um, about, I don't know how many years, many years ago. That's probably enough, enough said, yeah. Many, many years ago. So, <laughs> so Dale and Ellie have been with us forever and ever and ever. And every single year, they, um, they willingly are faithful to serve, which I absolutely love you guys for. And I'm grateful for the continued um, just support of what 24-7 is doing. Um, every single one of them here put up their hand to commit for 2020 for the year to be the deacons in the church. They've all committed uh, to serve faithfully, so they are making a, a commitment to every single one of you today. They're saying to every single one of you that they um, carry the heart. And let me make this very clear too. They don't just carry the heart of Jane and I. How many know it's very dangerous if they just carry the heart of Jane and I? Because if Jane and I, God said, listen, you guys are no longer going to lead this church. You're going to go somewhere else and what have you. And then everybody goes, well, I don't carry, only carry their heart. That would be crazy, right? So they are leaders of 24-7 church. So although they love Jane and I, they carry the heart of 24-7 church. Amen. They carry the heart of the church. They carry the values of the church. When they speak, it's as if I'm speaking. So they're pledging to serve us as a community of believers faithfully, to uphold the values, uh, which are biblical values, to, to, to love God with all of their hearts, to, to be the demonstration of the kingdom and of Christ to us. Amen? We are committing to them as the congregation. We are saying, we want to make your guys' life easy. So we want to be there to support and to help in every way. And uh, we are excited uh, as a congregation to also uh, look forward to seeing you guys Step into and fulfill the mandate over your lives. Amen? And then it's stirring us up as a congregation to actually say, 
you guys can be the catalyst to motivate us to say, I, you know, I also want to get involved and do that as well. And, uh, and, and we don't ever uh, desire or esteem to be an elder or deacon. God, God does that. God appoints. Amen? Man did it the wrong way around, and we've got a great stories about um, Saul and, and David. Um, so these guys are not standing here today because they sought after. Change the batteries. I'm running out of battery. Um, so I'm getting a deacon team. Um, so, again, so, so just um, as we do lay hands...